Hey guys, welcome back to Adira the podcast. We would just like to start this by putting out a trigger warning since we will be talking about narcissistic abuse. Um, if you don't feel comfortable hearing about that, just feel free to stop it from here on. Okay guys, so um, we decided to do this episode because each and every one of us had some experience with a narcissist or friends of us who went through a relationship or even had parents being narcissists and we did all of us realize that this topic has been all over the internet like it felt like it had been all over the internet recently so what is your experience well i've had quite a few you know from being a partner that i was in a relationship with or a parent which in my case was my stepfather or just being exposed to friends that is actually turns out to be <laughs> not friends in the long run and you never know if you are in an actual narcissistic relationship right yeah it doesn't start off that way right like I mean, it starts off with love bombing most of the time and you're so wonderful and you're so perfect and I love you so much. And those I love you's come very quickly and you feel so comfortable. So when you actually find out that there's an issue, it's almost too late. Because those people are so good when it comes to manipulating you to a point where you question your own sanity. You start to think and you start to believe that you are the one who made the mistakes, who was wrong in, in the situation. Because they never, never will admit that they did anything wrong. I've looked into this a little bit, um, but a lot of times they say that like, they kind of separate you from friends and family or like do little things. Have either one of y'all experienced any of that? Oh yes, yes. With um, the first relationship, it would be, you know, they, they want you to seem very confused. Like you, you have no control over your own life and that you don't understand things. So with your friends, and they would see that you are close to a certain friendship grouping, then they would start nitpicking at each friend to say, no, this person is no good for you, you know, um, stay away. Or they will create a little drama or illusion to make you believe that your friendship is irregular or it's not safe with a person and that they are the only safety zone that you've got. So you know, at a, at a point where you stop believing, you know, the people around you and you only believe this person, I ended up in both relationships having absolutely no friends, none. No friends that visits you. Yes, you would have a friend that would call you from time to time, but I was so isolated and so secluded that it was only myself and him. Or, you know, and in, like I said, in my case, it was both, both relationships. So it was only the two of them. And every single time it happened, I would think, no, but it happened in the previous relationship. And in the second relationship, I actually highlighted that to say, but in my first relationship, this is exactly what happened. And I ended up having no one to speak to besides the person that made me believe that I was losing my mind. 
And you don't just have emotional abuse coming from them, but you also get punished physically to a point you they, you would be so scared to speak up. And remember, you've got nobody else to turn to that you will now be too scared to voice if you're going through anything. A simple thing like just what do we cook today? Oh, he doesn't like rice, you know. So you stop buying rice altogether. There was a time that I didn't buy rice for four years because this person didn't want rice. And then the one day he came home and he asked, why Why is there no rice? And I stood there like a freaking idiot because it's, but for four years we haven't bought rice. So where, where's the rice coming from? And I said, but you said you don't like rice. He said, I never said that. And I, I felt like I was losing it. I promise you that I said, okay, okay, let me go buy the rice. I went out, I went to go buy the rice. And I, you know, when you, when you say it out loud, <laughs> it sounds like it's something that you've made up because it cannot be true. Like how, why would something so small be an issue? So I went out, I went to go buy the rice. I came home, I cooked, I made sure everything was fine. I dished up, took it to him. And he asked me, what the fuck is this? Sorry for the French. Um, what is this? And I asked, um, what do you mean? And he said, why is there rice in the plate? I fell to my knees because at that stage, it just felt so heavy. Like, you know, you, you couldn't. And he said, where did you go to? And I said, but I said, I'm going to the shop to buy the rice. Now, this is, a, this is one small percentage of what I had to go through. But something so stupid, you know. Just just to think, I told you I'm going to go buy this thing that we haven't had in the house for four years. I come back and it's an issue. Then you reach out to people and you start talking to a person just to see, am I really, really losing my mind? And the first thing a person would ask you is, but why are you staying there? That's the thing. And I do, from my point, until today when someone asks me, but why? Why did you stay? Why did you not leave? I cannot come up with an explanation. Because the explanation that I still give out until today is when you are in it, you don't see it. What were some of the first signs that you noticed? That was quite early in the relationship, actually. Whenever we had an argument and I pointed out things that he said or did that did hurt me, it was not even the fact that he would say, oh, I did not mean it that way. It was, oh, that never happened. I never said that. Basically, he made me feel, or like that was his intention, um, to picture everything like I was saying complete bullshit, basically. Um, whatever I felt or whatever I pictured him that I had experienced in that situation with him was never true. That never happened. And from there on, it was little things, you know, starting with we were out with friends and I said something or did something that he did not appreciate. It would start with maybe saying, oh, but you're so stupid. But you know, like the friends around us, they would believe that he would say that in a cute little joking way. I knew, I knew exactly the way he meant it. He really meant in that moment that I was stupid and he was angry at me. He would just not show it. Um, the entire discussion about it would be happening at home where he would go on about it for hours and making me feel like I was the last, sorry for the wording, piece of shit out there, you know? So that's um, the kind of things, the, the small things that happened in the beginning of the relationship when we were, I think we were together for like two months at this point. Yeah, that's pretty early on, yeah. 
well, you love that person, right? Like you, you, you want to believe the best in them, you know? Yeah, because those men are not completely bad. Like they don't come off as being the worst person ever. I mean, they're so charming. They are kind. And to the public, when you're out with them, they're like the sweetest person ever. I mean, obviously you did fall in love with that person at one point. And for me, like I'm a person, I always see the good in people. Um, I spent so long being together with him and in my mind it was just but you know he's good you can still bring that back you can bring back the good times because we did we did obviously have good times um and you do i don't know how it was for you addy but for me i know that a lot of things i went through with him i went into a complete denial there was a point where I was told what to wear, how to, you know, dress my hair. If you did your hair in a certain manner, there's an issue. If you colored your hair, there was an issue, um, you know. And when you would ask questions about it, like, but why? The person would tell you, no, but people won't take you seriously if you look this way. Um, you know, if you speak in a certain manner, people won't listen to you. And you start believing that. And to a point where I would suppress my life. I would suppress the way I speak. I would suppress the way that I look at people, you know, especially males. I would look down. I wouldn't speak to them and looking, you know, to try and look at them because the person made me believe that I was inferior to the people that I was speaking to. And that affected my role at work because at work, you you know, I was in a superior position. So at work, I dealt with people. I had people, underlings, you know, um, underlings is such a horrible word, um, but I had had people working under me that I was responsible for. So when I would get home, it's a matter of, yes, but you are a superior or a boss at work. But when you come home, you need to know your place. And I was treated as such, you know, to when simple things like shopping would get out of hand, you would go and do shopping and the person would look at you and be talking to you in a manner that when the cashier is looking at him, they wouldn't see anything wrong because they are smiling at you, you know, but you would be told off in front of people in public with a smile on his face and you would stand there with tears in your eyes and people would look at you like you have lost your freaking mind not knowing what the person is saying to you and they would to a point where my hair would be stroked in public you know but just in such a manner that there's enough pull so that I know I'd said something wrong or I did something wrong you know and they would be or your hand he, he massages your shoulders in public but the one finger would press hard enough for you to feel the pain but then there's a tug on you to know do not make a sound yeah those little things that look so nice and so lovely in other people's eyes where you actually exactly know this is the point where you just don't say another word because you did upset him mm -hmm. how does everything that you have experienced still affects you until today yeah, with me, there's little triggers. So, you know, yes, I can I can walk into a room now and I can look men in the eye, you know, and I can speak to them and I can control the meeting. I've got no issue with that. However, if somebody just makes a comment about my hair or my eyes or, you know, it's, it's those little things and you get a flashback and you have to control yourself so that you don't show emotion or an emotional reaction in public. You know, um, when I look at a couple, for instance, in a shopping mall and the guy has 
as his arm in a certain manner around the woman, I always look at her face to try and see, are you are you sure you're okay? You know, and to a point where a few years after I've left the relationship, I would be so triggered um, that I would look at women like a crazy person, like, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? A woman couldn't just tell me, no, she was fine. I didn't believe you. You know, it's like, there's no way you can be fine. Are you sure you're okay? Um, you know, and, and that unfortunately, even with the way that I made friends, I would be overly protective over certain friends because I did not want a single woman to go through what I've went through. And I, it actually put me under psychiatric treatment for six years and I was put on medication and the person would call my office and tell the, the PA, you know, go check if she took a meds and I would be in a board meeting. And this person was sent to come into a board meeting to tell me in front of everybody <laughs> to take my meds. And you would not understand the level of embarrassment you would feel at that stage. Like the ground could swallow me at any point. But you had to make it look like, oh, no, it's just, you know, I've got sinus or I've got, you're always making an excuse. And you would make an excuse for the marks on your body. You know, you would make an excuse for how the person speaks to you. I would have the person coming to my office chase out my staff to go stand outside a building to scream at me for everybody to hear over the smallest detail, the smallest. And if he bought me anything, you know, I would have to return it because I was bad. I did something horrible, you know. So your punishment would be if I bought your sister a gift and you did something wrong, whether that was talk when you weren't supposed to or your voice was raised at me or whatever the case may be, go fetch that thing, bring it back. And if I say, but the person has got it, then you have to pay him back for it, you know. So those those little things to a point where if somebody in, in if a guy has to tell me now that, um, he wants to buy me a gift or he sends me something. I am so freaking paranoid. I do not want it. I will buy you a gift gladly as a guy in a relationship, but I will not accept a gift, you know, because I am so scared that, but what if I act up or what if I, you know, just don't do the right thing? Or what if I've triggered you in, in any manner? Must I give this back? Must I pay it back? You know, what is going to be my penance for this gift? That is what I look at. Yeah, I am still until today. That's that's my biggest trigger. His way of punishing me way before it started to become physical was depriving me from any physical or emotional affection. So it could go from you did something wrong, you're not sleeping in the bed tonight, to I disappear for two days and just don't answer your calls. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to message you. You're just, you're just not going to know where that I am. And until today, that is the biggest trigger I have. When I have a conversation with someone and we disagree on something and that person decides to take a step back to calm down before basically starting um, the conversation, this could be 10 minutes, this could be two hours, this gonna trigger me so bad. This will put me back in a place where I was years ago and just didn't know who I was anymore. So those little um, lack of affection, um, whenever that happens right now, that's a huge trigger for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I had no idea that all of that kind of... I You said the hair comment, though, that actually made me think. Um, I have not really experienced... To the depth of what y'all have but um I was in a relationship way back in the day and uh I commented and said something about oh I got my hair done and I made a joke that I cut it really short and dyed it blonde which I did not but I was just making a joke um and I was told well you can't do that because only skinny pretty girls can wear their hair like that 
And it, yeah, just the hair comment made me think of that. Um, but yeah, it is crazy like how they can just kind of cut down your self-esteem so quickly. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I feel like when you are in a relationship with a narcissist, you lose yourself. You don't know who you are anymore. And all the things that those people tell you, you start to believe them. You are nothing. You're not worth it. No one's going to love you like I do. And mixed with the physical abuse, you start to be just terrified. You start to be terrified and you just don't know how to escape it. You don't know how. That's actually like a perfect um, segue to our uh, part two, because in part two, guys, we're kind of going to talk about how how we moved past some of it and how we dealt with some of it and maybe even a little bit of what we deal with in relationships today because of it. Yeah. Tune in for part two. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone.